You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 16th of March 2020 on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View. Coming up today... It's the danger of precisely these sort of tit-for-tat operations, that they get a momentum all of their own, and nobody seems to be able to pull back from the brink. Even with the domestic health crisis, Iran's belligerence continues. My guests Robert Fox and Quentin Peel will discuss that in the day's other news, including a promising result for the Greens in France's municipal elections. And is there any hope for a truly global response to the coronavirus? Plus... You'll have had more than enough advice by now on how to contribute to preventing the spread of the virus. But what about doing your bit to lessen the economic impact of the pandemic? The importance of individual economic responsibility. I'm Paul Osborne. Monocle's House View starts now. Welcome to the programme. While the world has understandably been obsessed with the coronavirus outbreak, it is worth taking a moment to look at what's been going on in the Middle East. In Iraq, a rocket attack on an airbase near Baghdad killed two Americans and one Briton. It happened on what would have been the birthday of Qasem Soleimani, the assassinated Iranian general. US forces in Iraq carried out airstrikes in response the following day against an Iranian-backed militia that it blamed for the attack. We're going to discuss that and some of the day's other stories with Robert Fox, who's defence editor at London's Evening Standard newspaper, and Quentin Peel, the former Berlin correspondent at the Financial Times. Iran, uh, Quentin, is one of the countries worst affected by the coronavirus. It seems hard to believe we're seriously talking, though, about a potential military escalation at the same time. Well, I think that's the danger of precisely these sort of tit-for-tat operations, that they, they get a momentum all of their own, and nobody seems to be able to pull back from the brink. Um, And certainly that seems to be happening out there. Neither Iran nor the US is in any position, really, to uh, formally escalate this sort of thing into a bigger confrontation. It would be disastrous for Donald Trump in an American election year to to get involved in another serious uh, confrontation in the Middle East. And as for Iran, as you say, they're facing a very serious outbreak of coronavirus, um, which they don't seem to be in control of. Indeed, Robert. I mean, Iran, you say, struggling with its own outbreak, the US struggling to contain its outbreak. Aside from the political potential consequences of more violence in the Middle East, there is also just the realistic question of whether either country is capable of dealing with this. Well, the problem with this um, is that... uh, Iran does, is not acting on a single front here. It's really its proxies uh, in Iraq trying to keep the toehold that they uh, had uh, have, have been gaining recently. Uh, it's significant that this latest attack comes at the end of the 40 days of mourning for, for uh, Qasem Soleimani. And more important than Qasem uh, uh, Soleimani in this story is Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, who was killed with him. And it's his militias that have been punching back at anything in the uh, Iraqi military hierarchy that is cooperating with America. It is a very, very big mess indeed. And it's the Iranian, they're not proxies, they're Iranian allies uh, across the political spectrum. 
in Iraq that is still fighting to hold its corner. It's causing a lot of distress because you can't keep corona out of this story uh, that a lot of Iraqis are very, very worried about uh, the, the the spread of the virus uh, from people traveling from Iran to Iraq. And the uh, border has been quite porous uh, hitherto, but now there there is a real problem. But I agree with Quentin. I think there is no chance of an all-out uh, confrontation here. It is absolutely not in Trump's uh, interest at all. And he's in a jam all over the place. He's losing uh, allies uh, across the Middle East, uh, not least uh, with today's news uh, that the uh, uh, Israeli president has asked Benny Gantz to try to form uh, a government. Really, um, the uh, Israeli political establishment seems on the way to shutting out the great uh, ally of Trump, Netanyahu, at last there. And uh, it, it, is, it, is, um, <coughs> it is fascinating. But you can't detach it from coronavirus. Coronavirus, even in Israel, is absolutely deep in the mix now. Uh, Quentin, let me just ask you, because aside from Iran, there are other nations, aren't there, who might well look at the current situation and see an opportunity to, for want of a better term, cause mischief. There are, although everybody's got a trouble in their own backyards. I mean, one person who no doubt is watching extremely carefully is Vladimir Putin in Russia, um, where he's just uh, seems to have pulled off quite a coup uh, in uh, opening up the Russian constitution to the possibility that he could serve another 12 years in power, take him all the way through to 2036. Um, so if he can get away with that at a moment like this, that would be quite extraordinary. Um, and I think that really the distraction of coronavirus is, is uh, likely to, to indeed open the doors to the utterly unscrupulous. And certainly Donald Trump is not paying that much attention. Uh, Robert, I mean, uh, one British MP was uh, is going to ask a question in Parliament today about the potential use of the military in the UK, but has also said that there is a need to have in the background that idea that other nations may think now is the time for a cyber attack. Now is the time to try to destabilise a Western society through spreading fake information on social media. I'm quite sceptical about the cyber attack. The uh, UK is very much behind on, on, on cyber warfare, and I think there is going to be a big announcement next month, come what may, of a new form of cyber command, which um, is borrowing from the playbook of one of the most uh, effective uh, 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 international players on the stage, not China, not America, not Russia, not Germany. It's going to be Israel because uh, there were nearly 700 major cyber attacks last year, which we found very difficult to pick up. But remember, there is a very odd side to cyber. Kui uh, Bono, who gains from this? Uh, supposing you um, have a go at the very damaged infrastructure, commercial infrastructure, supply chains and so forth in Western Europe, to whose benefit would it be? Were it to be, as some of the stuff has come from, from China, it is actually to their disadvantage. They would be, if they do it on the port of Rotterdam, say, or the logistical base in Schiphol, just to take to places very close to the UK shores, um, it would be absolutely damaging to themselves. Um, I'm also very sceptical about Putin, by the way, 
I think he's overstretched. I think he's overstretched and is in a very difficult position in Syria. And likewise, it is about to be replicated if it isn't already in Libya. So he's going to he's going to have to be very careful. And public opinion polls, such that they are in Russia, show that they don't like him trying to um, uh, grab the steering wheel and promote himself to lifetime leadership. I think that the the, the virus has got a long way to run, but I do think it is the volatility of places which in which state actors are not dominant, which is going to cause real trouble, um, particularly what's coming up from the Sahara and West Africa, for example, the turmoil in the bits of Libya that we don't see, the fragility now of Algeria, Morocco, and right down to West Africa, which is so uh, worrying the British government. But the British government will consider putting in the military for civil contingency. But as with so much through austerity, the cupboard is pretty bare. And I think that that's the most worrying thing about coronavirus throughout Europe is how uh, how um, really depleted the public resources for resilience really are. And with countries like the UK, you've got a double whammy. You've got the big problem of the coronavirus, but still the, the, the legacy of the floods, which is far from over, that has to be contended with, and there's likely to be more, to be more very soon in both cases. Robert Fox and Quentin Peel, and we'll be back with them in just a moment. First, though, let's catch up with some of the day's other top stories. Thanks, Paul. Germany has become the latest country to close borders as European nations try to stem the spread of the coronavirus. Meanwhile, New York's Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced that schools, restaurants and bars in the city will close from today in a bid to contain the outbreak, while the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has advised against all but essential travel. From tonight, all private and public events will be banned in Switzerland, which has mobilised up to 8,000 troops to assist with the crisis. Reports suggest that the US military is planning to move some of its troops out of Iraq. It follows two recent attacks on a military base to the north of Baghdad. The Taji military base hosts foreign troops from the US-led coalition whose mission is to train and advise Iraq's police and security forces. And the luxury goods giant LVMH has announced that it will use its perfume production lines to start making hand sanitizer to protect people against coronavirus. LVMH says it wants to help tackle a shortage of products across France and that the goods will be delivered free of charge. Back to you, Paul. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Paul Osborne here with Robert Fox and Quentin Peel. Despite the outbreak in France, municipal elections went ahead on Sunday, though the turnout was understandably low. Among those who did take part, though, there was strong support for the far right. Indeed, Marine Le Pen's party could take control of a city for the first time. It could, but I think it would be wrong to actually point that up as the key uh, outcome of these elections. Far more important is the advance of the Greens, who are coming first now in cities like Lyon and Strasbourg, uh, which is extraordinary. I mean, yes, uh, Marine Le Pen's uh, national, uh, sorry, what used to be the National Front, the Rassemblement National, uh, are coming first in Perpignan, but that's not of the same order. So it's very difficult to read these things. You're, you're perfectly clear that the, the turnout was low, 45%. And most people, I think, were pretty annoyed at being asked to uh, go out and vote when at the same time they were being told they couldn't go to bars and restaurants and everything else. So I think there was very, very mixed emotions. And it looks perfectly possible that they may not be able to, hit, to hold the legally required 
required second round of the elections next Sunday because the problems with coronavirus have just got too too difficult. I mean, Robert Quentin talks there about the, the, the success of the Greens, but it, if those second round elections do go ahead, which, which may not, um, it is possible that the far right could take control of, of Pepignon. Why is it that at times of crisis, people do seem to turn to more extreme parties? I don't agree with you. Um, I think we're getting a very, very mixed bag here. Um, One of the interesting things in Italy, uh, in the way that they are conducting themselves, the the authorities, particularly the Prime Minister, Giuseppe Conte, in a very, very difficult circumstance, acutely difficult, um, we haven't seen, unless I'm much deceived, I haven't seen people in the street shouting for Matteo Salvini and the League to take over. And it's interesting how there is mistrust there. There is mistrust for the kind of populist stance that uh, Donald Trump seemed to be uh, taking initially. Uh, But uh, one of the things I'm not I'm not explaining it away. I'm not discounting it. One of it, one of the uh, tropes must be um, uh, to quote a Trumpism is that this is a foreign virus, and that has been quite easy to promote. Um, but it's interesting to see the limits that it has reached. The thing, though, that why the Greens and the the ecologists are so strong on this, they think that um, it, it it is somehow getting involved with the debate about climate change and taking care of our environment and looking after ourselves for the future. And I think that this is where the Italians feel this acutely and they feel that the British have been neglectful because both are co-chairmen of the COP26 uh, climate change conference due to take place in Glasgow, which, by the way, I don't think will happen the way things are panning out across Europe and uh, across the world now. But it is interesting how the virus debate uh, and how we look after ourselves and our human environment and our physical environment have now become absolutely intertwined. Well, around the world, the race is on, of course, to find a reliable vaccine for the coronavirus. But if one is found, who will control it? Over the weekend, it was reported Donald Trump offered huge financial rewards to a German company in pursuit of exclusive US rights to any vaccine they would develop. Uh, Quentin Peel, this is, of course, on the one hand, exactly what you would expect Donald Trump to do. But nevertheless, it's still terrifying. Yes, and I think that, I mean, what we're seeing, and you were talking about it earlier with Lance, is the really worrying thing about this uh, coronavirus crisis is the way it's bringing out the worst forms of of inward-looking nationalism, of of beggar-my-neighbor policies, and we're not getting our act together in a genuinely international way of tackling it. It's a huge contrast, obviously, to the financial crisis of 2008, uh, when the G20 was got together and managed to hold the line against everybody introducing protectionist policies right across the world. Now we're seeing this sort of attitude. Now, it's been knocked on the head pretty quickly, if if indeed it did happen, uh, by not just the German government, but the company involved saying, there's no way we're going 
to end up producing a vaccine for just one country. Uh, but having said that, there is a very nasty way in which people are putting up border controls on exporting essential health supplies. The European Union is doing it, um, and individual countries of Europe are doing it as well, refusing to allow exports. It's a terrible way to deal with an obviously global problem. Robert, is what we're seeing, for example, if this is, as Quentin says, if this is true about Donald Trump, is this the sort of governmental equivalent of the panic buying we're seeing in supermarkets, that at a time when you feel that you're not in control, you seek a way to exert control? Well, who can look into the mind of Donald Trump? Um, I'd rather not uh, for uh, a life of peace and tranquility for the rest of my years. But um, his behavior does seem to be quite typical and quite extraordinary because this came out of a meeting on March the 2nd, the idea that there was an initiative to buy exclusive rights to CureVac uh, as research on 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 a possible vaccine for COVID-19. Um, Trump dipped in and dipped out characteristically, and it was run by Vice President Mike Pence. And by the way, they'd called in about 25 companies to ask about their research. And it's not clear whether they really just wanted to buy the research. But that being said, the man who misspoke was uh, the chief executive of the firm, Daniel Menicella, or Menichella, if he sticks to his Italian origins, um, who was promptly being fired by the company, by the way. He's been fired. um, uh, He was dismissed curtly and thanked for his original work on the the coronavirus. So... um, where, do, where does this take us? I think it's absolutely right. There has got to be a cooperative effort. I mean, this is where um, I think it's, it, it makes even um, the hard Brexiteer uh, um, a stance really rather poor, because here, just down the road from where I'm speaking to you, in the Francis Crick Centre, we have got an absolutely world leader in this. And one hopes that all these laboratories are working together, because talking to uh, virologists, uh, friends, and professional contacts over the weekend, we're about 18 months off, they reckon, of getting anywhere seriously near any form of vaccine or really true, uh, truly efficacious medical preventative for for this. And that's quite a thought. And we could have two, we could have three waves of it by then. Uh, Quentin, it's something you uh, hinted at before that compared to the response to the the financial crisis 12 years ago, that countries in their political responses are very much acting on their own. And yet there is a need, isn't there, in terms of medical research, that it will only work if everyone comes together. Absolutely not. And medical research is is right at the front line of this. But it's 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 right across the board. I mean, if, if the restricting exports of uh, uh, face masks or ventilators or all of these things, we're all short of them. And I have a huge sympathy, actually, for for the the reaction in Italy, for example, uh, in Europe, where the feeling is, hey, where was your solidarity in Europe? It's just like in the immigration crisis, Italy was in the front line. Now, in the coronavirus crisis, Italy's been in the front line, and a country like Germany was refusing to export medical equipment to Italy. We've got to realize that this is going to hit us one after the other, and therefore, let's 
give the supplies to the one in the front line and ramp up production right across the board so that by the time the virus hits us with full force, we're actually able to deal with it as well. Robert Fox and Quentin Peel, thanks to both of you. In a moment, we'll hear a bit more about spending as a public service. You're listening to Monocle's House View. Stay tuned. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Paul Osborne. Finally today, Monocle's business editor, Venetia Rainey, has some thoughts on how to lessen the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic. So, how was your weekend? Chances are it was a bit of a weird one, perhaps filled with the same conversation on loop, cancelled social engagements and worst-case scenario contingency planning. Don't worry, we're not here to continue the theme. At Monocle, we've always prided ourselves on focusing on the opportunities, the rays of light, or the things that you can do that help, even if only in a small way. You'll have had more than enough advice by now on how to contribute to preventing the spread of the virus, but what about doing your bit to lessen the economic effect of the pandemic? With tourism heavily impacted, some of the worst affected companies will be the consumer-facing ones in hospitality and retail. Millions of ordinary people depend on these vital industries for jobs, many of whom will be struggling to get by as shifts are cut and the usual supplementary flow of tips dries up. But it doesn't need to be like that. Restaurants and cafes already follow strict food hygiene rules, and rest assured, they will be doing even more so at the moment. Plus, remember, that delivery order is still being prepared, packed and transported by humans. At the popular buffet in Singapore's five-star Royal Plaza on Scott's Hotel, for example, measures include spacing all tables a metre apart, requiring diners to use hand sanitizer when they enter, and taking the temperature of all staff twice a day. Shops are taking similar steps. High-end beauty chain Space NK has instructed staff to stop giving makeovers and treatments for the moment as part of a no-touch policy and is incorporating rigorous daily deep cleaning in its stores. Of course, the normal rules should be followed about staying at home if you're sick or if you come into regular contact with vulnerable people. But with a little bit of extra hand-washing and a dash of common sense, there's no reason that perfectly healthy people can't lend their custom to that local hotel, bar or shop down the road that's about to face an extraordinarily tricky period ahead. Venetia Rainey wrapping up today's programme. Monocle's House View was produced by Augustin Machilari. was researched by Charlie German. Our studio managers, Christy Evans and Jack Dewars. Coming up at 2000 here in London, there's a new edition of Monocle on Culture. Monocle's House View returns at 1800 London time tomorrow. For now, though, from me, Paul Osborne, thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>